Ah, and we are live! Welcome back to Takes by Fans. We got a great show for you today. As always, we are live every single day at noon Eastern. If you want to watch live, head over to twitch.tv slash takesbyfans. If you want to watch but not live, head over to our YouTube channel, Takes by Fans. We post all of our shows and clips of the show on a daily basis. And if you just want to listen, we are on podcasting apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. So however you want to watch or listen, we've got you covered multiple ways. Alrighty, today's a big old Saturday. Finally, whew, no NBA playoff basketball on last night, but it returns tonight, baby. Game six, Hawks, Bucks in Atlanta. Bucks up 3-2, must win game for the Hawks. So we'll preview that game, break it down, do our moneymaker for that. And uh, we will be watching the wild card game, Packers-Washington 2015 to once again judge Aaron Rodgers in that performance. You know, he's got his golf match cup coming up. He's taking jabs at Tom Brady for some reason. I mean, you should have been taking jabs at Tom Brady on the actual football field, not the golfing green. But we all know what Aaron Rodgers prefers to do. So we are going through his kind of playoff games, playoff logs, and uh, we're at the 2015 wild card game against Washington. So we'll break down his performance, uh, look at the stats, watch the film, see how much credit out of 100 credit points he deserves for this win. It is a win. It's a wild card game win. He usually wins those. Uh, but when he gets a little bit deeper, he loses them. So we'll be watching that today on the show, breaking that down. Uh, but let's just jump right into it with the stories of the day. And the first one up, oh, goodness. Speak of the devil, folks. We were talking about the Lions yesterday on the show and that we, that we haven't heard anything from Dan Campbell in a while. And that was a good thing. We don't like hearing from Dan Campbell because every time he opens his mouth or does something, we're just like... This is the guy, <laughs> this is the guy the Lions are trusting to finally turn around their organization, Dan Campbell. Ugh. But speak of the devil and he will show up because as soon as we were done with this show yesterday, we get a quote by Dan Campbell and once again, it's just, this is the guy after Matt Patricia two and a half years, this is the guy you guys go with? To finally get it done, to finally not be the laughing stock of the league, we are turning a new chapter in the NFL era, folks. We are now in the 17-game era. Get it done. Forget about the 16-game schedule for the last 20-plus years. This is the time to finally get it done, to turn over a new leaf, to finally get on track and get the recognition it's you know who's gonna have the Patriots dynasty of the 2000s to 2020 who's gonna have that Patriots dynasty in the 17 game era this was the chance for the Lions to go out and do it but they hired Dan Campbell that's not happening folks Dan Campbell's not gonna be able to do what Bill Belichick did with his Patriots team we know this and the Lions actively went out and sought after this man so, he opens his mouth yesterday, and once again, we had this Lions team ranked number 32 in the NFL. Absolutely garbage. Absolutely bad. There's nothing that we can truly get behind. Maybe Jared Goff. Maybe. We're still maybe. We're, we're iffy on Jared Goff still. The running backs, once again, we're kind of iffy on as well. There's nothing truly that we can sink our teeth into on this team, and with especially Dan Campbell be, being the head coach, 
no, no, no. We can definitely not get behind this team. So here we go. Let's read the quote, folks. Let's read this shameful. <laughs> let's read this absolutely shameful quote here. So here we go. Dan Campbell on what he told the Lions on day one. I don't even want to read this, folks. I truly don't want to read this. I don't want these words coming out of my mouth, but I have to read it. So here we go. Dan Campbell on what he told the Lions on day one. Quote, I said, look, I'm not carrying your toilet paper around. I'm not going to wipe your butt. You're going to wipe your own butt. You handle it, and I'll treat you like men until you prove otherwise. That's the big motivational speech that you wanted to kind of give your team. That was your first impression. I'm not going to wipe your butt. You're going to wipe your own butt. I'm going to treat you like men until you prove otherwise. I'm not carrying around your toilet paper. Who says these words, folks? Who strings these words together like this? This is like the most baseline thing. This is what you tell like modified kids, folks. Peewee football kids. Pop Warner football kids. This is what you tell them. Hey, we're men here. I know you're all right. But we're men now. You are on a grown man field and we are men. I'm not going to wipe your butt. And then it gets kind of a giggle out of the kids. <laughs> but that's like baseline first year of football stuff. And Dan Campbell brought that to the highest level. This is, this is the guy. This is the guy that the Lions went with after seeing the train wreck. That was Matt Patricia. Look, I'm not going to carry your toilet paper around. I'm not going to wipe your butt. You're going to wipe your own butt. Do you need to say both of those sentences back to back? The first sentence implies the second sentence. I'm not going to wipe your butt. Oh, okay, so I have to wipe my own butt. That's that. Okay, so if I'm following the logic, yeah, I have to wipe my own butt. And then he goes out and says, I'm not going to wipe your butt. Uh, uh, folks, Lions fans, you, you, you like this? This is what you want from your head coach? You think Sean Payton ever said this? You think, think Bill Belichick ever said this? Not their first year, not their second year, not ever. They never uttered these words. This is what you tell the Pop Warner, the 8, the 7, the flag football when they're just getting introduced to the sport. This is what you tell those kids. I'm not going to wipe your butt. Hey, you know, we're men here. We're grown-ups on this field. Let's go get it done. I'm going to treat you like grown-ups. I know your parents don't treat you like grown-ups. They say you're only a kid, but this is a grown man sport. And I know we're only eight out here, but we're going to learn the fundamentals. We're going to get better. I'm not going to kind of hold your hand. There's no hand-holding. You know, we're all going to go get it done. We're all going to kind of improve together as a team. I'm not going to wipe your butt. And, like, you know, they all giggle at that. And, you know, that's fine. They're eight. You know, they can laugh at that. That's fine. That's understandable. That's kind of why you say it, to lighten the tensions a little bit. You just told these eight-year-old kids they're going to be grown men now. So throw in a little playful, hey, I'm not going to wipe your butt. You're going to have to wipe your own butt still. Ha, 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 ha. You know, you know, get the laugh, get the, get the kind of crowd, you know, engaging a little bit. But you tell them, if you talk to me like this as 25 plus years old, I've got no respect for, for you right off the rip. Yeah. I, what? Yeah. I, nobody's asking you to wipe my butt. How about you say wipe my ass? How about that? I mean, if, if you're going to kind of, you know, 
use this kind of very, very, I mean, folks, this is the ground level stuff we're talking about. And that's what we would expect from Dan Campbell never being a head coach before. So he's kind of in this kind of um, infantile stage of coaching. So he's going to bring out the infantile kind of coaching lessons and phrases and all that to get the reaction. So once again, folks, we are truly 100% off of this Lions team. I can't back Dan Campbell, folks. I've tried. He was a Dolphin, Dolphins interim head coach. And I gave him a chance. I kind of, you know, once when that kind of uh, move off of, I think it was after uh, Joe Philbin. I think that's when we moved him because we fired Joe Philbin, I believe, middle of the season. And then we brought in Dan Campbell because he was on the team. He was our tight ends coach, I believe. And uh, so we moved him over to head coach. And, like, after week one, I was like, oh, okay, I can get behind this man. But as the weeks progressed, I'm like, yeah, this man is not a head coach, not even close. And I know he was learning from – he was the assistant head coach for the Saints, learning from Sean Payton. But I'm not seeing he's learning anything from Sean Payton here. After the first couple of months as the head coach, he's not learning anything from Sean Payton. This is clear. Sean Payton would do none of this, none of the acts, wearing the motorcycle helmet. Telling their, his, his grown adult players that he's not going to wipe their butts for them. You have to wipe your own butt. So, I like the end of it. Kind of. You, um, I'll treat you like grown men. That's what I want to hear. Yes, we are all grown men. You will treat me like a grown man. Until you prove otherwise, I don't kind of like that. You know, that kind of hostility and talking. I'm not a big fan of that, folks. If you're trying to motivate and get people to behind you, I don't like this kind of backhand talking. Hey, I'm gonna treat you like grown men until you prove otherwise, and then I'm gonna get you. Then I'm gonna, you know, not respect you as a man and all that. Like I don't like that kind of. Um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. The um, just the the aggressive language. I don't I don't like that. The reading into the language. I'm not a big fan of that. So, uh, just overall, Dan Campbell, he would lose me instantly on this team. I would request a trade after day one. That's what he said day one, folks. Dan Campbell on what he told the Lions on day one that you're in, you're meeting your new head coach for the first time. A head coach is meeting his team for the first time. First impressions are everything. And this was his first impression. I'm out. I'm out. As soon, as soon as the word butt comes out of his mouth, I'm, I'm walking off the field. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not ruining my career for you to have a chance to maybe prove yourself as head coach. And it's not even going to work out. We know this man's not going to be a good head coach, folks. I'm out after this. Day one, I'm out. I'm requesting a trade. If I'm Jared Goff, you need to get out of Detroit as soon as possible because your kind of career is on the line. His kind of future career in the NFL is on the line. He just got tossed out of um, Los Angeles Rams because, you know, Sean McVay, a kind of a real good head coach in this league, said he can't play. And now he's going down to Dan Campbell's system, which is instantly going to sink. 100%. And now it's just going to get put on Jared Goff even more. So if I'm Jared Goff, you have to get out of Detroit as soon as possible to try to save your career as much as you can. The longer he's there, the 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 harder it is for Jared Goff to is going to have to get a new job in this league. So that's Stan Campbell, folks. Every time we hear something about this man, we're just like this this is this is it. This was the hire. 
Man, I don't get it sometimes, folks. I truly don't. I mean, how could you? Like, I know this is, he's a great energy on a team. He's not a head coach. I don't want to knock Dan Campbell 100%. I do think kind of that great motivation and that good energy, I do think that is needed on the team. But that's like a tight ends coach role. Maybe defensive coordinator. I think Robert Sala did that great. We'll see how he transitions to the head coach. But this is not a head coach, folks. This is not a true leader that has to kind of get everything organized and then lead and then task on top of task on top of task. This is kind of an assistant coach somewhere, a special teams assistant coach somewhere. It's not a head coach. So Dan Campbell, his big message on day one, I'm not going to wipe your butt for you. Okay. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for telling us that since we didn't know that already. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> it drives it drives me crazy, folks. <laughs> Y'all don't even understand. It drives me crazy when I uh, whenever I hear this man open his mouth. Uh, and I see people are people. Hey, let me go through the comments. Are people cheering this on? Because Bleacher Report Gridiron, who tweeted this out, said, "Put this Dan Campbell quote in the Hall of Fame, the inf the Hall of Infamy." You remember that uh, Fairly Odd Parents episode, the Hall of Infamy? This is this is the quote of the Hall of Infamy, not the Hall of Fame. Jeez, jeez. What else do we get here? Um, uh, we're going to read the comments here to see if anybody's kind of actually getting behind this. Uh, better coach than Bill Belafraud. Uh, that's obviously a troll. Automatically became a top three coach in the league. <laughs> Did someone ask him to wipe? <laughs> Did someone ask him to wipe their butt for them? I wonder. Truly. Uh, grown ass coach telling grown ass men the business. I love it. You love this? Really? This is, this is the business you love? Dan, let's. Let's go. Dan, let's go. So inspiring and uplifting compared to the clown show that was Patricia. You don't think this is a clown show? LMAO, players can't take this dude serious. And that's, uh, that's it 100%, folks. You have to respect your head coach. Look at all the head coaches in the league, folks. Kind of stoic most of, the, most of the time. Shows little emotion when it's needed. Players feed off of that, folks. Hey, if I can get kind of a fist pump out of the head coach, then I know I'm definitely doing something right, 100%. Bill Belichick, Sean Payton. I mean, these are Super Bowl winning head coaches, folks. Mike Tomlin. Lions are going to be scary. I just don't know if scary good. That is true, 100%. They will be scary bad. Absolutely scary bad. Your team's coach, boring, lame, uninspired, Lions head coach, exciting, awesome, and new, unique. I don't know if I want that from my head coaches, though, honestly. Um, geez. Geez, folks. I mean, yeah, everybody's not buying this, so I'm, I'm glad on that. I'm glad nobody's kind of saying, hey, this was actually great motivation, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, folks, if you're a Lions fan, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm truly sorry. I don't – like, if this was my head coach, I, I would have to think about tearing the flag down, tearing the, the three-piece panel canvas art down, and I'd have to change teams immediately. I'm not rocking with this, folks. I can't get behind this man. Zero percent. Zero percent. So – that's where we'll leave Dan Campbell, folks. Absolutely. It's embarrassing. This is embarrassing. I would be embarrassed if I said this, folks. I would be I would be embarrassed. So we'll see more. Obviously, we don't want to hear any more from this man. I we, we will. It's inevitable. He's the head coach. We will hear from him, but 
I don't think he doesn't get it, folks. I don't think he gets it, but let's move on. Let's move on because uh, I'm about to go crazy. I'm about to go psycho on that. <laughs> but let's move on. Here we go. All righty. Well, it's that time of year, baby. Josh Gordon. Can he get back in the league? Can he stay off the weed? Duh. Can he do that? Because wide receiver Josh Gordon has applied for reinstatement to the NFL and hopes to be on a team for training camp. Now, that's interesting. We know training camp is the end of July. That's when they all start. So that's really good. And uh, Josh Gordon has reportedly has passed all drug tests this offseason. So that's great. Obviously, the whole weed business, you know, is a separate issue. We're not going to get into that. It's lame. It shouldn't be there. The, the, the Olympic runner that just got caught with weed, that shouldn't be either. I mean, the, the entire rule is just uh, blasphemous and stupid and doesn't make any sense. And it's ridiculous and it's shameful. It's a shameful rule, honestly. Um, so all of that aside, we're not going to get into that issue. I don't agree with any of it. Weed rules should not be in effect anywhere, honestly. So, but just, you know, the NFL, this is the rule, and this is what's been going on, so we'll talk about that. But, uh, you know, Josh Gordon, every time he gets back in the league, it's a couple of games, and then he gets caught or he gets let go, and then, it, you know, we go through this process. I mean, folks, we've been talking about this man, the same story, the same situation for the last five, six, seven years. I mean, this man is an absolute great talent, folks. I mean, his one full season... 2013, 1,600 yards and nine touchdowns. He was averaging 117 yards a game, folks. I mean, absolutely amazing. Amazing. This man is absolutely great. He's 6'3", fast as heck. He, would, he could have been the greatest wide receiver of all time, honestly. That is true, folks. 100%. Josh Gordon could have been... The greatest wide receiver of all time if, you know, he didn't get, you know, kind of sidetracked by the weed, unfortunately. Um, I mean, what do we got? 2014, five games. 2017, five games. 2018, he played 12 games and then got, you know, caught with the weed, got out of uh, New England. And then 2019, he played seven games and then didn't play in 2020, obviously. And now we are here 2021. So like we said, we've been kind of, you know, he was out all of 2015, all of 2016 for the substance abuse policy. So once again, we've been talking about this same story for the last six, seven years, folks. But that one magical season of 2013, folks, 1,600 yards. He was averaging 19 yards a reception, folks. 19 yards a reception. That's absolutely amazing. And uh, he's just a great overall talent. Like we said, he is fast as hack, folks. Fast as hack. Him and Tyree Kill, folks. Um, I don't know who's faster. Maybe Tyree Kill. A little bit. But still. So we'll see if he can kind of get on a team for training camp. That'd be great to see him back in this league. We know, you know, marijuana is becoming more and more kind of accepted. Finally, it's getting legalized everywhere. Finally, for recreational purposes. Um, it just came to New York. Thank goodness there. So, you know, all these kind of, you know, rules that are holding these great athletes back. I mean, every, I mean, folks, everybody is smoking weed out here, folks. Truly. I mean, there's multiple NFL players that are smoking weed, but just never get caught, never get tested. They use that as pain management. You can tell, you can ask every athlete, would you rather have these hardcore pills to treat your pain? Or would you la rather smoke a little weed? And I would say a hundred percent of every athlete pulled that question. They would say, yeah, let me smoke the weed for pain relief 
And we know NFL is a wildly painful sport, folks. You are running into each other time and time and smacking heads, body, shoulders, hips, legs. I mean, your ACL are, are tearing. I mean, just you're putting so much force on the field that you are wrecking your own body. So you need a little bit of pain relief. But the NFL would rather kind of stick you with a needle, give you all these prescription drugs to handle it instead of a little harmless weed. Really? What sense does this make? It doesn't. It truly doesn't make any sense out here. So we'll see what Josh Gordon can do. We'll see if he kind of is still looking in his prime 2013 season whenever he's back on a team. Now he is kind of aging up a little bit, which is, you know, kind of the unfortunate side here. Father Time is not going to wait for this man. Just because, you know, he did, he did he's only played kind of two full NFL seasons. He, that doesn't mean that he's going to, you know, be able to still play for eight seasons. He's 30, folks. We've been talking about age this offseason at wide receiver. Julio Jones, 33. A lot of kind of Hall of Famers, it's kind of 50-50 whether they pl play past 33 to like kind of 36, 37, 38. But then we've also seen a lot of kind of players stop at 33 and never be productive after 33. So, you know, father time is ticking on Josh Gordon Definitely has to go and get it right. We need to see what this man can do. If it's only one season, it's going to be a little unfortunate, but so be it. We have to see this man back in the league and see what could have been. So we can take this kind of 2021 season if he plays, you know, the entire year starting wide receiver on a team. Watch him be great and then just kind of, you know, speculate and imagine, man, oh man, if we had this man for eight consecutive years through 2014 to 2020, Man, that would have been something, was it? wouldn't it? Damn, but we only got kind of got two great seasons, 2013 and 2021. We'll take it, I guess. Give it to me. Let me see it. So we'll see what Josh Gordon can do out here. Let's see if he kind of gets on a team before training camp so he has kind of a full training camp to get kind of, you know, the playbook and the team, the situation, and a, a chance to have a, a starting role on a team. So let's see if that happens. So we'll keep a... We'll keep a close eye on Josh Gordon and celebrate if he gets signed to a team. But he's uh, passed all of his drug tests this offseason, so that's definitely a great sign. And now it's up to uh, just Adam she um, Adam uh, um, Roger Goodell uh, whether he can come back to the league or not. But uh, we'll see. We'll see, folks. I mean, it's only weed. But once again, it's kind of, you know, fifth chance, sixth chance. So we'll see what Roger Goodell overall rules. But, I mean, we just talked about Washington football team. I mean, they got away with sexual harassment for 20 years. So, yeah, give this man another chance, please. <laughs> Jeez. All Let's keep going here. Here we go. We talked about the top five running backs yesterday on the show and kind of ranked them. And uh, Maurice Jones-Drew agreed with us, so that was always great. Uh, but now we get the top five Batman and Robin duos in the NFL. So let's kind of go through the league, the teams, and see kind of the, the two great weapons on a team. And uh, I'm not sure how they're going to kind of rank these. We got, once again, Bucky Brooks um, ranking the top five. Batman Robin duels in the league. I'm not sure where he's going to go with this. Is it all kind of wide receivers um, and tight ends? Can we put a quarterback in a wide receiver? Is that kind of in the duo? So we'll see just kind of how our thought process lines up with his. Once again, we didn't go into this article yet, saving it for the show. So we don't know what the top five are. So let's go through. 
talk it through and see what we would put as our top five, ranking them one through five, and see if they line up with uh, what Bucky Brooks of Around the NFL says. So, here we go. We got up the teams, and we'll just kind of walk through it. So, the Seahawks, I mean, they don't really have any. Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, uh, small sample size so far. Um, so, I don't know if that's going to really count as a true Batman Robin. The Rams, they don't really have that either. I mean, we've just brought in a new kind of quarterback, so we don't really have that just quite yet. The Cardinals, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. That's potential. That is potential. Maybe top five. We'll come back to that because it's not an overwhelming top five right now. It may be a five if we're looking to round out the top five. Uh, the 49ers, yeah, once again, just nothing truly kind of great on their offense, kind of multiple pieces together. The Saints, um, who would it be? Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas? That's a pretty good duo right there. Um, who do we truly call Batman, though? Who's the Batman in that pair? Is it Alvin Kamara, folks? The dual threat? I think I'm going to go Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. I'm not going to put them one because I am saving that. Let's just get that out of the way because we got to get number one, and this is a clear number one, folks. So let's go to this, and then we'll head back to the Saints. But the number one is Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, and I'm putting Travis, I'm putting Tyreek Hill as the Batman, and Travis Kelsey as the Robin. So Tyreek Hill is the best wide receiver in the league, folks. He is. He is. He's fast. He gets open. He he plays. He's 5'10", and he plays like he's 6'4", folks. It's absolutely amazing how he goes up and plays the ball in 50-50 jump ball situations, even though he is very small. He's small, but he's fast, and he go, he's, he's got great bungees, folks, great hops, great feet on the man. So I'm putting Tyreek Hill as the Batman and Travis Kelsey as the Robin. And that's number one. I mean, they both had 1,000 yards receiving last season, folks. A tight end having a 1,000-yard receiving season. It's absolutely fantastic. He had more yards than Tyreek Hill did. So maybe you could put Travis Kelsey as the Batman. But overall, I'm still putting Tyreek Hill as the Batman, the main kind of focal point of a defense, folks. From a defensive perspective, we have to lock up this fast, fast as hack, great 50-50 ball catcher. We have to guard him first, and that's why Travis Kelsey kind of had more yards than him because, you know, at the tight end position, you're not going to kind of double cover a tight end, even though that is kind of becoming the norm here in the league. But I'm putting Tyreek Hill, the Batman, and Travis Kelsey, the Robin. All right, let's go back to the Saints here. We're going to put Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas we're going to put them at probably number two. That's a real solid duo. Now, unfortunately, no more Drew Brees, so we'll see how effective they are with these young guns of Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, whoever wins that starting job. But um, should we put Michael Thomas as the Batman or the Robin? That's really kind of what we have to decide. The reason why we would have Alvin Kamara as the Batman is because he's dual threat, running and catching. Now, we just looked at the stats the other day, yesterday on the show when we were talking about running backs, and uh, the one thing that Alvin Kamara has not done is a multiple thousand yard, thousand, thousand rushing, thousand receiving yard season where we've seen Christian McCaffrey do that. So I am going to put Michael Thomas as the Batman and Alvin Kamara as the Robin. If Alvin Kamara had a uh, you know a thousand and a thousand yard season, I would definitely say he's the Batman. But because he's under that kind of threshold, that kind of great benchmark of a threshold, um, we got to put him as the Robin. All right, so we got number one, 
Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and number two, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara as top five Batman Robin duos. Now let's keep going. The Bucks, they've got pieces everywhere. Do you want to put Tom Brady and um, uh, Mike Evans? That's a possibility, but let's keep going here until we get actual kind of all right. We got to put them in the top five. Um, Carolina Panthers, they've got nothing. You got Christian McCaffrey, but that's it. There's no Robin. There's no. He's got no Robin in that team, unfortunately. Atlanta Falcons. Um, you could have put Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones, but Julio Jones isn't there anymore, so we can't. You, we can't do that. Now we could potentially next season put Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts together. That could be a potential, but we have to see what Kyle Pitts does in this league year one before we start talking about that. Washington football team, they don't even have, do they even have a Batman? <laughs> I mean, do they even have a one? I mean, we do like Terry McLaurin, but I mean, besides that, there's no even Robin for that man to have. The Giants, I mean, uh, we got a kind of a lot of new kind of talent here, and then we got Saquon Barkley returning off the injury, so I don't know if we could put them in, top, in the top five just quite yet. The Cowboys... This is interesting. Um, potentially Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. Maybe CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. But I don't know if that's top five. Maybe top ten. So let's keep going here until we get true. Oh, my God. We have to put them in the top five. Uh, the Eagles. They, they don't got nothing. They don't got nothing. Um, they don't even have a, bat, uh, a really a Robin yet. They don't even have a Robin. Devontae Smith potentially, but we got to see that work. All right. The Packers. All right. This is... Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to probably put this in the top five. Um, um, Aaron Jones and Devontae Smith. I mean, great running and passing attack there. So we're going to put that in the top five. Probably at number three so far. I do like the Michael Thomas and Evan Kamara um, over them, so we will stick them at number three. And uh, we are going to put uh, – we got to put Devontae Adams as the Batman. Um, we got to give him his respect. He's a great wide receiver. So Devontae Adams – and um, Aaron Jones. Big fan of Aaron Jones out here. Great runner. I think he just ran for 1,000 yards last season, no? Pretty sure. I'm like 99%. Let's bring this up real quick. Aaron Jones. Yes, sir. Back-to-back 1,000-yard -back seasons, folks. Give this man his due. Love it. Damn, he had 16 touchdowns in 2019. Gosh, dang, folks. Woof. Love it. All right, so we got uh, Aaron uh, Devonte Adams as the Batman, Aaron Jones as Robin. Even though it's really close, folks, maybe I'll switch them, but I think we're gonna keep it the same. All right, the Bears—they don't even have a Batman or a Robin. The Vikings—they've got Delvin Cook. I don't know if I'm putting Adam Thielen and uh, Delvin Cook in really the top five. Now I may be able to put Justin Jefferson and Delvin Cook in the top five potentially, maybe, but more likely top ten in that scenario. Uh, the Lions aren't even close. They don't even have a, a, a Catwoman, folks. They don't even have a Nightwing. They've got nothing on that team. All right, the Tennessee Titans. Now, I mean, potentially A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, but we have to see Julio Jones work in this system. But what I actually kind of want to put in this top five duo, and I'm going to put it at number five. I'm going to put it at number five. I'm going to put Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. Derrick Henry, obviously the Batman, folks. I mean, that's no debate. But really, he opens up Ryan Tannehill a lot because you have to play the run first. And then Ryan Tannehill's great play-action skills and his great kind of running out of the pocket and throwing on the run. I compare Ryan Tannehill throwing out of, on the run as well as Russell Wilson, folks. I really think they're that close throwing on the run. So I'm going to put a quarterback and running back here 
in the top five, and I'm putting Derrick Henry as the Batman. He's the Batman and the Robin, and then really Tannehill is kind of the Catwoman in that situation. Um, so Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. We're going to put them at number five. Derrick Henry by himself can be a number one, but um, you know Ryan Tannehill compared to all these other Robins, I mean, it's no disrespect to Ryan Tannehill, but he's a game manager. He's an above-average game manager. So uh, number five is Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. So we got one more spot left at number four, and then if we come across one, we'll see if we have to move one of these top five out. All right, the Indianapolis Colts. Um, they could potentially have their running backs all be Batman and Robin with Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines, and um, I'm blanking on the other one. Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, Marlon Mack. I mean, I could potentially put Jonathan Taylor as a Batman, and then, I mean, both those running backs could be Robin. But uh, I don't know if that's really top five, potentially top ten. Uh, the Texans, they don't really have anything. Deshaun Watson's definitely a Batman by himself, but he's got no really kind of reliable Robin. The Jaguars, they've got nothing. Potentially Travis Etienne. We'll see how he plays out. The Bills, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. This could be a number four right here, folks. This could truly be a number four. Um, the way that we just saw them play, I'm going to put, um, I'm going to, yeah, let's, oh, man, let's keep going here. Let's save the Bills here for number four because I may put them at number four. Um, and then who do we put at, as the Batman, Josh Allen or Stephon Diggs? Ooh, that's going to be the tough part. Maybe I put Stephon Diggs as the Batman, folks. How crazy is that? But let's keep going here. The Dolphins, they don't really have a number one and a number two. The Patriots def uh, definitely don't. Uh, the Jets definitely don't. The Steelers, uh, yeah, not really. I would put Najee Harris already as a Batman, but really, what's the Robin? I don't know. Um, the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, the Batman, maybe J.K. Dobbins, a Robin, but I don't know if I put that top five just quite yet. I am a big fan of J.K. Dobbins. I don't know if I can put that just quite yet. Oh, no. Ooh, I think this duo is going to beat out Josh Allen slightly. I got to put Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, folks. I mean, what a running back duo. Holy moly. L thunder and lightning, folks. There it is. Kareem Hunt is the lightning and Nick Chubb is the thunder. And I'm going to put Nick Chubb as the Batman and Kareem Hunt as the Robin just because Nick Chubb is the official starter. But I, I think I do kind of like Kareem Hunt just a slight hair better than overall than Nick Chubb does, uh, than I do Nick Chubb. So I do have to put that at number four. I can't put – Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs would probably be number six, though. Uh, but I have to respect Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. That running back by committee over there is absolutely fantastic. They both basically had 1,000 yards last season. I know Nick Chubb did. I think Kareem Hunt was on like 900-ish. Um, but overall, I mean, oh, that's a great running back duo, folks. Holy moly, I love it. Damn, I love that so much. So they got to be number four. Um, the Bengals, they've got nothing. The Chiefs, we already have them at Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. The Raiders, Josh Jacobs, but that's really it. The Chargers, Justin Herbert's a Batman by himself. No really great Robin. And then the Broncos, they don't even have anything. Melvin Gordon's nothing, folks. He's truly nothing. So, all righty. That's kind of a good – that's a good top five there. I've got kind of no complaints. Um – I don't really think anybody's kind of rivaling for a top five spot. I truly think it's kind of, you know, top five. This is the top five like we have it. And everyone else is just kind of competing for 10 through six, honestly. So let's recap before we get into the article and see if they agree with us. So uh, top 
top Batman Robin duos. Number one is Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And I am saying these in order from Batman and Robin. So whoever I say first is Batman, second is Robin. So Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey is number one. Number two is Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara. Number three is Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. Number four is Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And then number five is Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, folks. That's my top five Batman running, uh, Robin duos. So let's go into this article right here and see if Bucky, Bucky Brooks, I always say his name wrong. I don't understand. It's pretty, it's the alliteration that throws me off. Uh, Bucky Brooks out here. So let's go into this article. See, do, do we agree? Does he agree with us? Do we agree with him? And uh, do we have any big, oh, what, what are you talking about here? <laughs> so here we go. Let's see. What does he put at number one? I wish he does five through one, but I know he always starts at one. So here we go. Top five Batman and Robin duos. Let's see. Number one is Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Yes. I mean, folks, I mean, that's just absolute. You have to. You have to. Just like yesterday on the show when we were doing our top five running backs, you have to put Derrick Henry number one. You have to put Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, folks. They are just kind of complete, like complete together, folks. Tyreek Hill, smaller but fast. And then Travis Kelsey, big, tall strength, and he can run routes as well as wide receivers do. So you've got kind of once again the thunder and lightning duo Tra Travis Kelsey's the big thunder at what is he six five potentially six six um and you know fast he's fast for a size as a tight end folks and then Tyreek Hill the lightning lightning times a thousand what's faster than lightning I don't know but uh, that's that's Tyreek Hill so let's see what he uh, let's see what he kind of says in his paragraph. Here we go. The most explosive pass catching tandem in the NFL can be an unstoppable force in the perimeter. Kelsey and Hill are each legitimate number one options. And, folks, yes, it's kind of crazy that Travis Kelsey had more yards than Tyreek Hill, but they are both number one options. It's absolutely great. With the potential to take over the game at any point, Kelsey, a three-time All-Pro, is the first tight end in NFL history to post five straight. Oh, my God, it's so crazy. I love, I love this. I love this so much. Oh, my God. He's the first tight end in NFL history to post five straight 1,000-yard seasons. I mean, wild, folks. Wild. Oh. Oh my God, tight end university, baby. Start respecting the tight ends. It's only just going to get better and better and better from here on out, folks. Including a 1,416-yard campaign just last season, 2020. Not to be outdone, Hale has topped the 1,100-yard mark in three of his last four seasons while emerging as the NFL's premier big play threat. Absolutely. The explosive playmaker has averaged 14-plus yards per catch in each of those four four seasons while tallying 41 receiving touchdowns during that span. Fantastic. With Patrick Mahomes displaying his super superpowers as QB1, the Chiefs will continue to terrorize the league with their version of the super friends on the perimeter. Absolutely fantastic. And as we're talking about Tyreek Hill, folks, he's averaging 14 plus yards per cash. We just told you Josh Gordon in his prime posted 19 yards a catch, folks. That's, that's what we're talking about, baby. It's kind of crazy what Josh Gordon can do in this league. All right, so he agrees with number one. Fantastic. He doesn't really kind of uh, solidify who's Batman and who's Robin, but he does have listed Tyreek Hill, then Travis Kelsey. So we're going to kind of take that as whoever's list is first as the, the Batman and the second as Robin. Now, did he in intentionally do that? I don't know, but we have to just, that's what we are going to assume just for the sake of the show. All right, so let's see what he says for number two. We have Michael Thomas and Elvin Kamara. What does he have? Here we go. Number two. Oh, okay. Respect. I respect this. He's got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. 
We had them number four. He has them number two. And I agree. And once again, he lists Nick Chubb one, the Batman, and Kareem Hunt, the Robin. So, okay, I respect it. Let's see what he says. It is rare for a team to feature a pair of backs with the potential to claim the league's rushing title, but the Browns could put Chubb or Hunt on the podium by the end of the season. Chubb claimed the silver medal in 2019 with 1,494-yard effort that showcased his skills as a nitty bruiser between the tackles. Love it. The Thunder, baby. Despite a dip in production due to injuries a season ago, he topped the 1,000-yard mark for the second time and cemented his status as one of the league's top runners. Hunt earned the gold, a gold medal as the 2017 rushing champion, 1,300 yards, and ran for 841 as a super sub behind Chubb in 2020. So like we said, Chubb had the 1,000, and Kareem Hunt was very close there. And when you're kind of doing running back by committee, having 2,000 yards or even two kind of close to 1,000 yards, that's fantastic, folks. Usually you have one about, you know, uh, more than 1,000, 1,200, and then the other one's kind of five, 600. But if you're getting up to that eight, 900 plus 1,000, geez, Louise. Well, we're talking here. We're cooking with gas, baby. All righty. Um, Hunt earned a gold medal in 2017 as the rushing champion. And then, you know, that whole suspension with him kind of domestic violence, unfortunately. Um all right, here we go. Considering the individual and collective skills of the Browns running back tandem, it is hard to find a better combination in any NFL backfield. That is truly it. When you had kind of, you know, maybe J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram with the, the Ravens last year, maybe, maybe. But, um, yeah, nobody's even co coming close to a pure running back tandem as this Browns team has. Maybe the, maybe the Colts, but I think I like just the two better. The, the Colts have the depth, all three of them. Uh, but the Browns, they're two, I think maybe be a little bit better than Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Browns at number two. I, I respect that. I've got no problem with that. All right, let's see who he puts at number three. We had at number three Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. Let's see what he has. Oh, okay, so he's putting some defense in here. Okay, so we didn't really know what he was going to go with the direction, so we respect this. Let's see what he says here. He goes the Ravens at number three with cornerbacks Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters. So great. I mean, they got a great defense back there. Two kind of A1 tier one corners shut down. That's the best thing about the Ravens is their defense, and then their offense is still very good. We just need to see them expand the ball down the field. And like we've been saying this entire offseason, we do not believe that is any kind of lack of Lamar Jackson. Jackson, we kind of put that as their receivers. They've got nothing great that the field. They got fast wide receivers, but I mean, Hollywood Brown does not play like Tyreek Hill does down the field, folks. He does not go up and get the ball. He's fast, but you also have to go and go up and get the ball. And he's short. He's not, you know, he's not, you know, six four, six three. He's nothing like that. He's like five ten. Um, so we kind of put that on their their lack of weapons on the perimeter and the offensive coordinator. We're not putting that on Lamar Jackson. But let's see what he says here about the Ravens at number three. Playing great defense in today's NFL is all about forcing turnovers. With that in mind, the Ravens defense will always rank among the game's best units as long as Peters and Humphrey are leading the way as ball magnets in the secondary. Peters is a turnover machine with 31 career interceptions and nine forced fumbles in six seasons. Fantastic. Although he gave up an occasional play as the fearless gambler, the veteran routinely makes up for his mistakes with a timely interception that changes the momentum of the game. Humphrey is the best ball puncher on the perimeter since Charles Tillman, folks, helped the Bears defense wreak havoc on the league years ago. 
The All-Pro finished 2020 with a league-high eight forced fumbles and two and a half sacks as a slot outside corner with superb instincts and awareness. These two former first-round picks give the Ravens the league's best turnover producers in the defensive backfield. Absolutely, I give that. Yeah, I agree, folks. I didn't know if he was going to go defense like that, but I give it to him. Yes, sir. All right, let's see who he puts at number four. Our number four was Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Let's see what he puts. Okay, he goes defense again, this time for the Bucks linebacker Dev uh, Levante David and linebacker Devin White. Once again, that Bucks defense was absolutely great. It kind of won him the Super Bowl, um, you know, locking it up in the NFC Championship game when Aaron Rodgers couldn't do anything on Tom Brady's three turnovers. And then in the Super Bowl, chasing uh, Patrick Mahomes all over the field, making sure that he was not comfortable and didn't have any really good kind of solid platform to throw the ball on. So the Bucks here at number four. Here we go. Let's see what he says. Tom Brady certainly deserves credit for his role in changing the Bucks' culture, but Todd Bowles' defense also played a huge hand in bringing another Lombardi trophy to Tampa Bay. Absolutely, 100%. You have to give it to that defense over Tom Brady. Yes, we like to kind of praise Tom Brady as being a great quarterback and the greatest quarterback of all time, but at the end of the day, he did throw, what was it, two interceptions against the Saints and three interceptions against the Packers on his way to the Super Bowl. Now, he didn't, do any, he didn't have any turnovers in the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, so once again, he always gets it done in the clutch, but once again, the defense, a huge part of it as well, so a huge shout out to Todd Bowles, um, better defensive coordinator than he is a head coach, and that's not a, that's not a knock, not everybody's a head coach, and you know, especially defensive-minded head coaches necessarily don't really get it done too often in this league, Bill Belichick, the obvious, uh, the obvious exception. But let's get back to uh, this article. Here we go. White and David sparked the unit's impressive play with their ability to control the game as sideline to sideline playmakers. White is a unicorn at the position. He shows a knack for getting to the quarterback nine sacks last season while also displaying solid instincts and awareness in coverage. David is the ultimate sidekick as a speedy run through play uh, with a play. A speedy run-through player with a nose for the football. The veterans' experience and expertise combined with White's explosiveness gives the Bucks a disruptive linebacker core that is a nightmare to face on Sundays. Truly that, and it's only going to get better. They have time. They have things that they can uh, improve on, obviously, and they have an entire, entire offseason in person to get it done. So watch for this Bucks defense to potentially be even better than it was last year. Alrighty, in the last number five, we had Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. Let's see who he puts as number five. Alrighty, he's going defense again. Okay, alright, a lot of defense. Okay, I'm, okay, okay, okay. Here we go, the Rams. He puts uh, Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd as number five. Okay, um, I don't know if I necessarily agree, but let's see what he says. The Rams could likely pair anyone with the three-time defensive player of the year and earn a prime spot on the list, but Floyd's emergence as a double-digit sack artist shouldn't be ignored. The six-year pro notched 10.5 sacks in 2020 playing opposite Aaron Donald in a defense that relied heavily on frontline play. With Donald keying the effort of last season's top-ranked defense with the, his relentless effort and dominant pass rush, the Rams dynamic duo deserves a spot on the list. All righty. So we kind of missed the mark there a little bit. He was going defense. I thought it was just going to kind of be all offense. Shame on us for thinking that. But um, I would still, I would, I agree with the one there. Nick Chubb and the Browns, I, I'm fine with the two. Um, I would probably still kind of sneak in an offensive pair 
Still probably Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill over the Rams, honestly. I like Aaron Donald. And like you said in there, you know, you can really put anybody with Aaron Donald to make the list. It's really just kind of Aaron Donald there defensively. But all right. All right. Not bad. So that's who Bucky Brooks had as their top five Batman Robin duos. Alrighty, let's keep moving on here. We're talking about uh, one of our top five. One of our top five Batmans here. We, we're talking Devante Adams. Now, all right, we got to kind of break this down into two parts. So the first one was Bleacher Report Gridiron tweeting that there is a rumor that there is no trade market for Aaron Rodgers right now. Which would be interesting because, you know, maybe maybe these teams really don't kind of want this in their locker room. It seems a little poisonous. I mean, he's just going to always go against the organization. He never kind of takes the blame his own fault. He always passes the blame on other players in the coaching staff. He's holding out now. He's kind of putting all the blame on the coach not making the right decision. And if you're kind of one of these teams, we're talking kind of Broncos are a big name for Aaron Rodgers right now. You know, if you're the Broncos, you're like, yeah, we don't really kind of want that on our team. Especially if you're a head coach, you're like, I don't want to coach this dude. I'm not going to coach this guy. He's going to be judging everything I do. And if I make one mistake, he's going to put it on me. And if I'm not always making the right decision coaching-wise, like calling the play and calling the right play, he's going to come and yell at me and not play because of that. I'm not going to have that on my team. I'm not going to have that in my locker room. In the same way, it's the same thing at kind of the front office level. He's, you know, Aaron Rodgers is taking shots left and right at the Packers front office. I'm not going to kind of have that at my team. I'm not going to get made look like made to look like a fool because of this man. I'm not going to have that because I'm not giving him consistently A1 tier 1 weapons. That's not how football works. This is a, a this is a team sport. We got offense and defense. We have to split it up. 50-50. And if you're so great, why do you need all these A1 tier 1 weapons anyway? Why do you need that? Like, yes, they always improve you, but you should be making kind of tier 2 receivers look like A1 tier 1. You don't need all these weapons around you. And even when you have all these weapons around you, you're not winning. You got Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones behind you, and you're still losing NFC Championship games at home, not cashing in on three turnovers thrown by Tom Brady. So why are we going to kind of, you know, stick our next out on the line for you when you only have maybe five seasons left is that fair to give Aaron Rodgers four five years left in this league playing at a high level he's what 34 right now 35 Big Ben's retiring at possibly 40 Drew Brees did 42 uh 41 um so yeah I mean I would say that I, I mean I would not trade for Aaron Rodgers right now I would not get Aaron Rodgers on my team I would live and die by that decision. I don't care, folks. Yes, he's a great talent, but he doesn't result into wins, and he only has more negative around him than he does positive. So I don't want that in my locker room. I don't want that leading my team. I'll live with it. So that's kind of, you know, when I first originally read this tweet, that's kind of what I took this as. There's no trade market for Aaron Rodgers because nobody truly wants his presence in the locker room because it's always going to end poorly for the management because all of his fans will always be behind Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers can never do no wrong in the fans' eyes, in Twitter's eyes. Aaron Rodgers is always right. Aaron Rodgers is the greatest thrower of the football of all time, which I'm not denying. Uh, for you know, When we have to take everything into account for the greatest quarterback of all time, he's not it. We have to start winning. So yes, the greatest thrower of the football of all time, maybe, 
maybe number one. I don't think I would necessarily disagree with anybody. But as for winning-wise, he doesn't get it done. So I, I, if I was an owner, a general manager, a head coach, I would not make the deal. Even if I was the Broncos who are kind of primed and ready, they just kind of need that great quarterback to take them over the edge, I still don't think I'd do Aaron Rodgers, honestly. Now, let's talk about the second thing on this tweet. So Albert Breer then quotes this tweet by, or no, Jeremy Fowler ends up quoting this tweet and saying, valuable context, as I explained on the show before Zoom snafu cut out part of an answer, no market because Green Bay still giving zero indications it's trading him. Hence, there's nothing for monitoring teams to do right now. But, but even if a player is not kind of, you know, publicly up for sale or even privately up for sale, there's still teams calling and be like, hey, you know, we got this. You interested? No. Do we still count that as a trade market if people are kind of calling in? Because when you say no trade market to me, that kind of means that nobody's inquiring. And like Jeremy Fowler says, nobody's inquiring because Green Bay's like, no, we're not trading him. So you can kind of read into it whichever way you want to. We obviously will never know kind of the full in-house details. Are they fielding calls? Are people calling for him? Are the Packers just instantly hanging up the phone when teams call about Aaron Rodgers? We don't know the 100% of that. So take it at what you will. I think I will kind of lean a little bit more towards Jeremy Fowler's kind of explanation that um, um, there's no trade market because the Packers are always kind of hanging up the phone and saying, no, we're not trading them. 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 So I think I go with that over than the Broncos aren't really calling anymore. All these teams aren't really calling anymore. But I kind of, it's kind of, I maybe weigh it 70, 70, 30. I'm kind of buying into Jeremy Fowler's explanation, 70%, and then the field, the 30%. But we'll see what happens with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Doesn't seem like he's going to show up to training camp, but we'll see. We'll obviously know more on Wednesday when we get to see Aaron Rodgers for kind of the first time in the public spotlight when he's golfing. Because that's what he's doing now instead of playing football, golfing. We'll see. Alrighty. Let's keep moving on here. We're talking about the Jaguars now. This time, all right, I don't know if I agree with this, but I can let you all have your optimism. Uh, here we go. DJ Chark, wide receiver for the Jaguars on 2021 Jaguars. Quote, we're going to shock a lot of people. Well, you already shocked me by signing Tim Tebow. So if that was a shock that you're kind of going for, then yes, it's worked. I am shocked. Shocked and disgusted. Not good shocked. Bad shocked and disgusted. Uh, but let's go into this article right here and see why we are going to be shocked for this 2021 Jaguars team because I'm still kind of not sold on Urban Meyer as a head coach and I'm definitely not sold on Tim Tebow playing in this league. So, so far, you're kind of behind the eight ball for us and we kind of are ranking this Jaguars team about like 30th. We have um, Lions 32nd, Texans probably 31 just because of the dysfunction and the question mark about Deshaun Watson and probably the Jaguars number 30. Now, we do believe in Trevor Lawrence and I do believe in Travis Etienne, but at the end of the day, I don't buy Urban Meyer and I do not like that they offered Tim Tebow a workout spot. I don't respect it. 
So that's why we're truly not big on this Jaguars team. But let's see if Jaguar, uh, DJ Chark can kind of turn around our thinking a little bit with what he says and why we should, should be we should be shocked. So here we go. After finishing 1-15 last season, Jacksonville enters the upcoming campaign with a new coach, franchise quarterback, and outlook for its future following the worst year in franchise history. During an interview on Friday's edition of NFL Total Access, fourth-year receiver DJ Chark spoke with the team's expectations as it kicks off a new era under coach Urban Meyer. Quote, just to go out there and compete, be better than what we were last year. That the the one in fifteen season is somewhere that we don't want to go back to. Everyone that's here understands that. The guys that came in came from a lot of winning programs. So we're trying to develop that winning culture and just that camaraderie here. And I think we're going to do really good. I think we're going, we're going to shock a lot of people. I'm not one of the people that's huge on setting record goals or anything like that, or saying how many wins or losses we're going to have, but we're going to be excited. We're going to be an exciting football team for sure. Okay. I mean, I guess talent wise, they have absolutely that ability and once again kind of like he said here a lot of these kind of players coming in have success you know uh travis Etienne and um um uh trevor lawrence coming from clemson i mean they were in the national championship games multiple times they won it they were always in the college football playoffs they were always kind of one of the top college teams uh so they uh, were always coming from success so I understand that. Um, but uh, overall, I don't know if Urban Meyer is going to be the coach to get it done. We have to kind of compare him to Nick Saban, a great coach in college coming to the league and kind of floundering. We'll see if Urban Meyer. Also, Urban Meyer hasn't been coaching for, what, two years now? So is he going to be a little rusty? And once again, did he already lose the locker room bringing in Tim Tebow? I know every player is like, oh, we're so excited to have him. And this is great for everybody, him and us to push us. And we have this kind of presence, you know, just kind of this uplifting competitive spirit presence. I know they're saying all that publicly. But I truly don't believe anybody's buying into that behind closed doors or in their own kind of, you know, own mind. They're like, Tebow? He hasn't played in nine years. You're going to give him a shot? We just drafted a tight end. And Tebow's getting the reps over this guy? Mm, I don't respect it, man. But that's what coach is going to do. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Stand up against the coach? I'm a rookie. I'm, I'm Trevor Lawrence. I don't have any weight in this league. I can't say anything. So, I... I I like DJ Chark. I think he's a great wide receiver in this league. But other than that, I mean, ugh, ugh. I do like Trevor Lawrence. I think he can be good in this league. Like we said, is he going to be Justin Herbert good year one? Or is he going to be like Tua Joe Burrow good year one? There is a big distinction. So, and how is Travis Etienne? I think he's going to have no problem fitting in this league. Um, I do like Najee Harris over Travis Etienne. But, uh, you know, I do believe in Travis Etienne to get it done. So, We'll see. Do we get anything else here? All right. Um, one more quote here. Here we go. Aside from the hope that better days are ahead, perhaps the arrival of Meyer and Lawrence will also amount to a bounce back year for Chark 
a 2019 Pro Bowler whose production dipped in 2020 amid his team struggles. His emergence as the number one wide receiver will be crucial to the offense and Lawrence's development, even with the experienced Jones joining the fray. Quote, we take a lot of responsibility and accountability when it comes to the passing game. Marvin coming in, he's a dynamic player, Levitska being young and so dynamic, me still trying to reach new heights, I think we have a lot to prove, but I think it's going to come together real smooth, and definitely being able to have Trevor back there, it's crazy how he's so young and so talented, so the sky is the limit, really with us right now, we don't know how great we can be, but we know we can be great for sure, and that is true, this, this ceiling for the offense here, of the Jaguars can be absolutely sky high. You've got playmakers all around the field. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, if he's going to step in year one, be great. Same thing with Travis Etienne. He could be a thousand yard rusher year one for this Jaguars team. He is going to be the starting running back. Let's bring up this uh, Jaguars depth depth chart, Jacksonville Jep chart. Um, let's bring this up real quickly. Who do they have as their running back two? Um, James Robinson, once again, solid. What did he do last season? About 800 yards? Oh, he broke 1,000. Very well done. So maybe more running back by committee here between Trevor, uh, Travis Etienne and James Robinson. Marvin Jones, what did he do last season? 900 yards for, um, for the Lions. So real solid there. They got playmakers everywhere. I mean, DJ Chark's been a 1,000-yard wide receiver in his career. No. 2019, did he do that? 2019, 1,000 yards. So they've got 1,000-yard people everywhere on the field, which is exactly what you want to see. They just have to have Trevor Lawrence be the guy, and we do believe he can be the guy. They do have Gardner Minshew behind him, which we are big on Gardner Minshew. Uh, defensively, what are we looking at here? Um, what do we got? Josh Allen, obviously, great. Um, Miles Jack, solid. Shaquille Griffin, solid as well as the corner. C.J. Henderson, what did he do last season? Multiple picks? What do we got? One pick, 60 pass defenses. Nothing great, but all right. All right for a number two corner. So they've got decent pieces everywhere, decent defense in this offense. Like we said, this is kind of a star-studded offense, kind of. Multiple thousand-yard pieces everywhere, running back, wide receivers, and let's see what Trevor Lawrence does. But overall, how can, um, how can Urban Meyer win the locker room and win the team over? That's the biggest question mark that we have. But overall, the offense should be rocking. All righty. Last story to talk about here, and uh, it's a good one. Uh, talking about Devonte Adams. Now we're talking about one of the. Um, I think I. Uh, yeah, we kind of uh, beefed that with Aaron Rodgers. But this is what we were kind of referring to when we were talking about uh, talking about one of the top five Batmans in the league. Talking about kind of Devonte Adams now, wide receiver for the Packers. Great wide receiver. He can get it done. Top five wide receiver in the league. I think people can agree with that. So once again, Bleacher Report, Gridiron, in the kind of you know center of all the drama here in the NFL. Devontae Adams, this is from Bleacher Report Gridiron. They tweet out, Devontae Adams is expected to discuss massive deal with the Packers to make him the league's highest paid wide receiver per ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. So once again, Jeremy Fowler at the at the kind of helm of everything. So once again, we can kind of come back to this as well because once again, we talked about Jeremy Fowler saying there's no trade market for Aaron Rodgers, but there is a trade market. They're just not picking up the phone. So here we go. Uh, so James Fowler says that um, 
Basically, Devontae Adams is kind of going to discuss a massive deal with the with the Packers, but then Devontae Adams says, cap. That's a lie. He tweets the cap emoji. That means, hey, that's a lie. What are you talking about? You don't know that. You don't know me. Stop speaking on my behalf. You don't know nothing. Jeremy Fowler's a freaking bust. You don't know nothing. So that's what he tweets out. So once again, we kind of kind of figured this with Devontae Adams. He's a great talent, and he's not going to have Aaron Rodgers' holdout situation and bigger ego than everybody else and God complex and holier-than-thou attitude and I-can-never-do-any-wrong I can attitude affect Devontae Adams getting his kind of great career in a ring. He wants a ring. Aaron Rodgers can't provide Devontae Adams a ring. And now he's threatening holding out and actually holding out and not showing up to the mandatory minicamps to get better, to finally win the NFC Championship game. He wants to go golfing instead. So, Devonta Adams isn't going to be held hostage by Aaron Rodgers. And I do not fault him any, any for that. I stand behind it. I respect it a lot. Hey, I know you're a great passer, but what are we doing here, man? Are you going to play or not? Are you going to give it your all or not? Because I'm giving it my all. And I'm not going to be on a team that not everybody's giving it their all. So, yes or no? Tell me right now. Oh, you're going to be golfing? All right, I'm going to take that as a no then. I'm out. So, his contract is up um, this year, um, so he's uh, kind of a free agent next season. We'll see what he does. And uh, saying that, uh, you know, Jeremy Fowler's kind of lying here. Hey, I'm not. I'm not going to talk about a massive deal. I'm not getting locked down here, especially if Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be here. There's no point for me of being here. If Aaron Rodgers is here, maybe I will, but even at the end of the day, I can't take whatever he says as gospel because we hear this all the time. Hey, I'm going to, you know, be a good mentor to Jordan Love, and then I'm going to bail the very next season. So I can't get behind that. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to Derek Carr that I have, you know, experience with. And, uh, you know, we've been getting it done in college. We were a great dynamic duo in college. And we're going to go revitalize that with the Raiders. I'm not playing with Aaron Rodgers anymore. So we'll see what uh, Devontae Adams does. Obviously, we're going to have to wait till the end of this season. But, you know, we'll know a little bit more information when and if Aaron Rodgers comes back and plays for the Packers this year. And then if we kind of say, you know, so if Devontae Adams, so if Jeremy Fowler is saying something that Devontae Adams says is a lie, then if we go back to kind of his reasoning of why there's no trade market for Aaron Rodgers, then that could be a lie. And maybe teams actually aren't inquiring about Aaron Rodgers because they don't want that mess. So maybe we have to move this down to 50-50 now, which doesn't really mean anything. It's bad because once again, we're still at this, is he right? Is he wrong? We don't know. But if he's going to be a liar about what he's talking about for Devontae Adams on Packers News, maybe he doesn't truly know what's going on in the Packers organization. So maybe we are right. There is no trade market for Aaron Rodgers because nobody's picking up the phone. Nobody wants that headache on their team. So I think we're going to kind of side with that. We're going to elevate that to 60. And we'll put Jeremy Fowler's explanation to 40. So... There's no trade market for Aaron Rodgers because nobody wants that headache in their organization, in their locker room, and nobody wants to have the finger pointed at them for literally everything that happens in a game and in a season. Go keep playing golf. Keep hosting Jeopardy. You're better at that anyway. So that's what we got today, folks, for the stories. Some good news. Some interesting Packers news, and this is all going to come to a crumbling halt very soon. Alrighty, let's uh, head over to the NBA. There was no game on last night, but we got a game on tonight, baby. Bucks, Hawks, game six, do or die, win or go home for the Hawks, 830 on TNT. 
Alrighty, so um, let's uh, bring up the line. We'll talk through it, and we will pick our winner for tonight's action. Now, unfortunately, uh, since there was no NBA on last night, we had to bet the Stanley Cup Finals, and of course... We lose that. I mean, we took the Canadians plus one and a half, and they got they got absolutely blown out that game, folks. I mean, the Lightnings were scoring often and early, and uh, you know, every time the Canadians would kind of come back to goal, you know, cut the deficit down to one, cut the deficit down to two. Lightning would go and score two more. So uh, it ended up being what six three, six four. Doesn't matter. Canadians plus one and a half did not hit. I think it ended at six three. Um, but here we go. Let's uh, get the lineup for this Bucks Hawks game and let's kind of see what's going on with Giannis and what's going on with Trey Young. So here we go. Bucks Hawks. Bucks plus two. Hawks minus two. Ooh, that tells me that Trey Young is definitely going to be playing. So let's see uh, the ins and out here. Let's see if that is truly the case. So here we go. The ins for the Bucks. Giannis is out, confirmed out, and, uh, you know, that's good. I mean, you don't need to play Giannis this game. This is not a do-or-die game for this Bucks team. The Bucks offense was it was the best I've ever seen the Bucks offense be last night, folks, or two nights ago. It was absolutely fantastic. So, no need to play Giannis. Um, like we said, there's no structural damage to his knee. It's all just kind of pain tolerance. Uh, so, you know, if he can kind of, you know, stand, withstand the pain, he can be out there on the floor and getting it done in the paint. But there's no need to play him because this is not a must-win game. Save him for Game 7 if it comes to that. So Giannis being out I think is a good thing. And then for the Hawks, Trey Young is a game-time decision and so is Bogdan Bogdanovich. Now, with the spread being this low, I would truly say that Trey Young is going to be good to go. So let's go to um, NBA Fantasy Labs and see if we get any more recent ups. Um, uh, information. So Patrick Beverly is going to be suspended one game. That's uh, that's news here. Uh, we know he was going to be suspended, but it's only one game to start the season next year. Giannis is ruled out, and we've got nothing. So we got Trey Young is questionable game time decision, and no further information is kind of on that. Now, um, we do think he is going to play. I mean, this is a do-or-die game. you got to try and go out there and go. No? I mean, that's what happened with James Harden. You're, yeah, right? James Harden earlier uh, just kind of had to try to give it a go. Who was it? Was it James Harden? Who got injured? Um, it wasn't James Harden. Who am I thinking of? Um, earlier this season in the playoffs, I think it was a must-win game. It was for the Lakers. Anthony Davis, correct? He just tried to give it a go, and he lasted, what, like two minutes out there? Unfortunate. So I kind of think you have to do the same thing with Trey Young. It's just a bone bruise, um, which, once again, you know, it's still you know a decent injury out here. But um, I think you have to try and give it to Hawks here, a full go for Trey Young. Um, now, when we're talking about this spread, Bucks, Hawks, Bucks plus two, Hawks minus two, Hawks at home, Bucks on the road have never been that great. And when we look back at what the Bucks did so great in game number five, it was their kind of consistent scoring. Everybody was scoring. Brooke Lopez put up 33 points, folks. The Hawks could not get it done in the paint. Now, can the Bucks replicate that performance on the road? I don't know. This this Bucks team, the kind of the other scores, the outside shooters are really kind of hit and miss during out this entire playoff series. And they were especially not that great on the road. Uh, you know, looking back to that net series, they lost all those games on the road besides game 7. They were able to kind of step it up and get it done. 
but I think I am going to go to the Hawks minus two here. Just the way that the Hawks were playing just defensively was their downfall. They were hitting the threes. They hit 15 threes. If they played a little bit better defense, they would have been able to beat the Bucks, kind of no problem. But, uh, you know, just kind of the beef down low was getting to the Bucks, and I don't understand that. John Collins and Clint Capella truly floundering against kind of, you know, P.J. Tucker and definitely Brooke Lopez down low. And Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis truly got it done at the four. So we'll see. I don't think the Bucks are truly going to be, be able to replicate that offensive performance from game five to game six here on the road. So I'm going to take Hawks minus two here. And I do think Trey Young is going to play. Um, how many minutes does he get injured? That's still going to be a question mark. But overall, the threes were on point. Bogdan Bogdanovich finally was able to get into a nice rhythm throughout the entire game and that's what was kind of the biggest Hawks downfall throughout this entire series even with Giannis playing, even with Trey Young playing. It was that outside score ability by the Hawks was not as good as it was throughout the regular season. Finally kind of got back on track a little bit and I think the Hawks are going to be able to kind of carry a little momentum. Uh, you know, Atlanta's going to be rocking and roaring. This is a must-win game. They're not ready to go home yet. This, The entire city of Atlanta, everybody on this Hawks team, me uh, also believe that this Hawks team can actually win the finals, folks. I think they can go all the way and win it this year. So... We're going to swallow the two here for the Hawks, and they get it done here at home. Force a game seven, and then that's another discussion for another time there, whether the Hawks can win on the road. But we'll take the Hawks minus two tonight. Alrighty, let's um, close out the show here by looking at an Aaron Rodgers playoff performance, folks. He likes to kind of point the blame at everybody else, say it's everybody else's problem, all of that. So we are going to uh, judge him right back like we've been doing, looking through all of his playoff performances here. And we are all the way up to the 2015 wildcard game against Washington. So we'll break down the stats and watch some film, some key films, some scoring drives, some not scoring drives, drives that stalled. Was it his fault? was it the receivers and give him a score out of 100 credit points of how much credit he deserves and then once we're done we tally them all up and see you know is Aaron Rodgers that great in the playoffs is he that good does he get a little bit of a free pass and we'll talk all that through so like I said, we are going to be looking at the 2015 wildcard game against Washington. So let's look at the stats first, and then we'll start dissecting these drives and watching these drives and seeing how he's looking. So uh, Packers, Washington, it was kind of a blowout here. 35-18 point win for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, 21 of 36 for 210 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. A little bit of a, you know, you know, you know when you average kind of 10 yards a pass there, um, pass uh, 10 yards per completion. It's just kind of, you know, it's kind of average-ish. So a little average-ish throwing the ball, but two touchdowns, not turning the ball over. Finally, he doesn't have an interception. Does he fumble? He doesn't fumble. Eddie Lacy fumbled, unfortunate there. Um, Eddie Lacy ran for 63 yards. James Starks ran for 53 yards and a touchdown. So uh, real solid work there by the running backs. Now let's see who Aaron Rodgers was facing here in Washington because, once again, some of these you know names that he's been facing in the playoffs, nothing great. I mean, you beat Jay Cutler for the NFC Championship game. That was the only NFC Championship game Aaron Rodgers has won and it was against Jay Cutler who didn't even play or who played kind of half the game then they benched him because he was being so trash so once again context is everything but uh, he goes against Kirk Cousins here 29 of 46 for 329 yards one touchdown no picks did he fumble he oh my god Kirk Butterfinger Cousins out here three fumbles lost one of them 
Kind of trash still. Uh, Alfred Morris. Oh, my God. What a throwback there. Love Alfred Morris. Uh, Alfred Morris, 11 carries for 50 yards. Chris Thompson, one carry for 25 yards. So nothing truly great there offensively by the Redskins. And uh, the Packers played a turnover-free game. So that was solid there. So let's go through this drive chart here. And we'll start kind of looking at the plays of Aaron Rodgers and seeing if he deserves credit for this big kind of blowout win. Basically doubled the score. I mean, you won by 17 points. That's a blowout in this league, folks. Alrighty, so he starts the game on a 4-and-out, unfortunate. We got a pass incomplete on 39. Let's bring that up really quickly. Um, you know, once again, you know, getting out to slow starts, not being able to kind of put a complete four quarters of football together. That's kind of our biggest knocks on Aaron Rodgers that we have been seeing throughout the playoffs. So let's see what he does here. Third and nine. Let's see, why does he not pick this up? He steps up in the pocket. Fires it, and it kind of gets tipped at the line. So kind of his fault a little bit. More of a better defensive play. We're not going to knock Aaron Rodgers too too hard on that throw. Alrighty, so they have to punt after that. But once again, they force the uh, Washington team to go three and out because it's Kirk Cousins back there. I mean, easy peasy. Um, who's on this Packers defense still? We still got uh, great names here. Um, Casey Hayward. B.J. Raji, Clay Matthews, Micah Hyde, HaHa ha Clintix. I mean, geez, Louise, folks, what a defense out here. Julius Peppers. Um, yeah, great. So they still got the great defense. Once again, Aaron Rodgers kind of, you know, no more Sam Shields, unfortunately. Right, no more Sam Shields, unfortunately. Uh, he was kind of a big old hero during their Super Bowl run as well. So once again, Aaron Rodgers in the defense, kind of getting, kind of bailing him out a little bit. Uh, but let's get back here. Here they go. They uh, get a safety. Aaron Rodgers sacked in the end zone. We just saw this um, the other uh, the other time where they called the safety because Aaron Rodgers got it taken down. One of his other, I think in 2014, one of the playoff games, he ended up taking a safety. So let's see what happened here. Was it his fault? Here we go. Backed up third and 13. How long does he take in the pocket? Tries to step up. I mean, you kind of have to put that on Aaron Rodgers a little bit. The, you know, not being totally aware in the pocket, trying to climb the pocket. You know, you can't really do that when you're all the way backed up. So holds the ball a little bit too long, tries to step up, and that's a safety. So a little bit on Aaron Rodgers. We're going to get, a, you know, put that, and especially when it's kind of still early in this game, giving all that momentum to the home crowd of Washington, giving them that two point win. Damn, they had Jay Gruden. Jay Gruden was the coach for the Redskins all the way in 2015, too. Damn. They rocked with that man for like five solid years. I didn't think it was that long. Jeez. But I'm going I'm to I'm give Aaron Rodgers a little knock for the safety. A little knock for the safety. Not too much for just how the game went out. But once again, I mean, this game could have went differently. I mean, Kirk Cousins catches fire off that momentum. Potentially dangerous. I mean, they were able to go down Washington on that next possession, go down and score a field goal. Once again, um, just kind of getting stopped on the two-yard line. Damn, they marched it all the way down to the second and goal at Green Bay's one-yard line in the defense of the Packers. Just stuff it out. First and goal, no no, no gain. Uh, first and goal from the one. Second and goal from the one, they lose a yard. Third and goal from the two, five-yard penalty. And then third and goal, Kirk Cousins cannot complete the pass. How unfortunate. 
So they have to settle for a field goal, and now it's five to nothing. Now let's see what Aaron Rodgers does on the next drive, and they go three and out. Two back-to-back pass incompletions. Let's watch these. Are these his fault? Let's cue this up. 419. I mean, folks, once again, the defense. Defense truly bailing out Aaron Rodgers. You're about to lose the game in the first quarter because you can't do anything meaningfully offensively. Offensively. So here we go. Second and eight. Aaron Rodgers slings it. And it's way low. Way low. Trying to hit Richard Rodgers on a little bit of a comeback route, it looks like. Let's watch this one. Nothing open here. Let's see this throw. There's nothing open in the middle of the field. And then can we watch the throw? I think it like skipped the last two yards. Yeah, real low. So we're going to say it skipped on him. He didn't get the arm strength there about 15, 12 yards down the field. Here we go. Third and eight. So that one was on Aaron Rodgers. Let's see what third and eight holds. Going deep. And once again, just overthrows it. Incomplete. Randall Cobb couldn't catch up to it. Aaron Rodgers puts it way too much out in front because once again, I mean, folks, we were seeing this time and time and time again. Aaron Rodgers likes to kind of, you know, throw the ball leading so there's no chance at an interception. It's either an incomplete or a receiver makes a great catch at it. Aaron Rodgers doesn't like to put himself in a situation where he will cause a turnover. That's Aaron Rodgers' biggest fear, turning over the ball. That's his biggest accolade, never turning over the ball, but it hurts him in key, key situations, key scenarios, and that's why he's only been to one Super Bowl, folks. Alrighty, so I mean, the, these kind of early blunders are him again, folks, and once again, the, the Packers defense steps up, forces Washington three and out, and then what happens with Aaron Rodgers? Three and out again. Let's see why. We get pass and complete, pass and complete. So once again, two more pass and completions here by Aaron Rodgers. Are they his fault? Let's see and queue up these plays. Starting at 141 left in the first quarter. So we got what? Like second and eight again. Here we go. Down five, nothing. They just kind of do a quick wide receiver screen, quick flip to the wide receiver, and that's on the wide receiver for not securing the ball. Um, probably wouldn't have gone for that much either, um, but that's not really too much on Aaron Rodgers here. So here we go. Third and eight on this one, and that's good defense. The ball just kind of, you know, floated out a little bit too long there. Didn't really rifle it in. Let's watch this one one more time. Just kind of, you know, it's a comeback route and the defense is able to kind of just get a hand of the ball last second because the pass wasn't that well bullied in there. Not going to put all the all the blame on Aaron Rodgers. We can watch this one one more time. Bad throw too. Way too much inside. Got to throw it a little bit more outside where the defender's hands aren't. So a little bit on Aaron Rodgers there. Not a lot. A little. Maybe 50-50. Um, so, so far, this first quarter has been abysmal. First quarter was abysmal by Aaron Rodgers. All right, now we go down to the second quarter. Um, the Packers defense gives up a touchdown. Now they're down 11 nothing, and finally, now Aaron Rodgers is on his kind of horse to answer that call. So, let's watch this drive here, this entire touchdown drive by the Packers, and see how it's looking. Is it all Aaron Rodgers? Are they focusing on the run game? So let's see what we get. Queuing this one up at 1302. 
in the second quarter. All right, so starting at their own 20, no great field position. First play is a run to James Starks, and it goes for about minus one yard, unfortunate. Here we go, second and 11 now. Aaron Rodgers finally able to complete a pass, real tight coverage to Richard. Who is that? He wears the hoodie all the time. All righty. Here we go. Third and four. Aaron Rodgers tries to get a quick play off. He does. And they call a flag on it. Yep, Washington. Either 12 men on the field or offsides. Either way, Aaron Rodgers gets it done like he always does. Picks up the first down on the penalty. Now we get first and 10. Plenty of time in the pocket. Goes downfield and there it is. Bingo, bango. Big strike over the middle. What's his name? We got to remember the name. He wears the hoodie, folks. James Jones. That's who it is. Alrighty. But let's keep going back to the film here. Great strike over the middle to James Jones. About 30 yards, maybe 25, 30 yards. It was great. All right. Now in Washington territory at the 35. Once again, another wide receiver screen. This time it sets up great. Able to kind of have the receiver catch the ball this time. And it goes for about eight yards. Nine yards officially. Second and one now. They hand off the ball. Ooh, maybe just short of the first down. Let's see where they mark it. Oh, they, that's a generous spot. But they give them the first down on the run. Now at the 25-yard line, quick throw there to, J, uh, to James Starks for five yards. Now officially in the red zone, and this is where Aaron Rodgers usually struggles a little bit. Let's see how he does it here. They hand off the ball and uh, picks up the first down. Picks up about seven. To uh, Randall Cobb, a nice little decent jet sweepish. Here we go, another wide receiver screen that uh, unfortunately is incomplete. Incomplete. So they're trying to get the ball off quickly here. And here we go. Once again, Aaron Rodgers able to force a free play defensively. And then there it is. Touchdown on the free play. Aaron Rodgers, hey, you can do whatever he wants. That's why he takes risks on those free plays. And he's able to score a touchdown. But overall, hey, that's a great drive. You know, great kind of mix between kind of quick hitters, deep throws, getting, you know, the defense kind of offside on some hurry-up offense. And, hey, that's all Aaron Rodgers there. So big credit there. All right, so that was a great drive there by Aaron Rodgers. And it really kind of kicks off. So uh, they fumble. Washington fumbles on their next drive. And uh, the – Packers have to settle for a field goal. Let's see why they have to settle for the field goal here. So let's cue this up at 419 in the second quarter where they are first and 10 on Washington's 32-yard line. Let's see why the drive stalls. Is it incomplete passes by Aaron Rodgers? Why could they not uh, Why could they not score the touchdown? So here we go. First and 10, Aaron Rodgers, play-action pass. Going deep, overthrow, jeez, had the man wide open, just overthrows Randall Cobb, unfortunate. Second and 10 now, at the Washington's 32-yard line. Wow, they get another free play. Unfortunately, it was kind of a wide receiver screen that goes nowhere. Second and five, because of the penalty. They hand off the ball. James Starks gets about three. All right, now we get third and two here. Why do they not pick up this first down? Let's see why. 
Aaron Rodgers through James Jones. Unfortunate drop of a pass there. Let's see if we get another angle to see how well this pass was thrown. Seemed good. Seemed like this was a good pass. Let's see. Yeah, that's just great defense. These corners are kind of locking it up, but uh, that's a good throw by Aaron Rodgers inside exactly where the ball needed to be. Not his fault. What is Aaron, what is Aaron Rodgers' fault on that drive was kind of the overthrow pass there that would have been a touchdown. Unfortunate. But overall, not totally his fault that they had to settle for a field goal. All right, so they make the game 11-10 now, and then they force Washington to go three and out, and now it's Aaron Rodgers, two minutes, 22 seconds left to go in the first half, and we know he's going to take advantage because that's what he does. So let's watch this drive now, and let's see what Aaron Rodgers does to get this touchdown. So great starting field position at Washington's 40. Hit over the middle for about five yards, complete. They're going to challenge the play because the wide receiver fumbled. Obviously, we know it's not going to be successful. All right, so here we go. Second and five now. Aaron Rodgers drops back. Pressure's coming. They set up a, a running back screen, and it gets complete for five yards. All right, here we go. They're going up tempo now. Right at midfield. Just a nice little five-yard pass there, low and away. They keep it up. They are going up tempo now again. They've got no timeouts either. Jeez. All right, here we go. Just once again, a quick hitter right there. A little bit of an out route there. A minute left, no timeouts at the Washington's 38-yard line. Quick hitter, and it kind of got batted at the line of scrimmage. Second and 10 now. Aaron Rodgers, is he going to take a deep shot now? I mean, they're just hitting quick hitters all the time. Another quick hitter here goes for about eight. Good throw to kind of fit it in there. I mean, the deep, these corners are all over these receivers. And Aaron Rodgers is putting it right on the money. So, great there. But now we get third and two. Going deep this time. Yes, sir. Devontae Adams, baby. Taking your shot. Trusting your guys. Fantastic. A one-on-one -on -one matchup. Not the best lead thrown ball. This one seemed to be a little bit too much um, under. Uh, no, that's pretty solid. That's a good throw. Overall good throw there. Can't really knock it. Uh, that's a good throw. On replay, it was a good throw, folks. Here we go. First and 10. First and goal from the 10-yard line now. Let's see how he gets it in. Once again, oh, my God. Overthrow had Randall Cop wide open. Overthrows him. Jeez. He's lucky he still gets a touchdown in this drive, but I could have been deadly. Let's see. Here we go. Second and goal this time. Over the middle. There we go. Wide open to mother-loving Devontae Adams, baby. There it is. So great job by Aaron Rodgers on that kind of two-minute drive to go up 17-11 before halftime. Washington comes out of halftime and scores the touchdowns, making it 17-18, and that was the last points they scored for the rest of the game. So let's watch some of these touchdown throws now by Aaron Rodgers because on the first drive out of halftime, they go to the touchdown, making it 24-18. Then they score another touchdown, 
and then they have to go punt, and then they field goal, and then they fumble, but the uh, game's really out of hand. So let's watch these kind of last two touchdown drives, and then we'll call it in have our grand total of how much credit Aaron Rodgers deserves for this game. So let's go to 941 and let's start watching these last two touchdown drives. And what is good about these is that he was scoring touchdown drives his first two possessions out of halftime. That's great. We haven't really seen that too much from Aaron Rodgers. So the first one, first drive, wide receiver screen to Devontae Adams, quick hitter, goes for about nine. Now we go second and one. Devontae Adams may have been shaken up on that play. They hand off the ball. Oh, we also know that um, we've seen two Aaron Rodgers passing touchdowns. Now we have some rushing touchdowns. So we'll see if uh, they just kind of start running the ball um, in the red zone. But he goes way deep and way overthrown in a potential pick there. Jeez. Um, way overthrown. Bad throw by Aaron Rodgers. Real bad throw there. Alrighty, on the left sideline, he throws it for nine yards. Third and one now. Let's see how they pick it up. Play action pass. And then there we go. Great. Oh, my God. Kuhn there. Jeez. Robert Kuhn. Is that it? Is that his name? What's his first name? John Kuhn. That's a great, that's a great catch. That seemed to be, yeah, let's watch the replay on this one. That seemed to be a little way behind. Not too behind. That was a good catch, though. Solid pass. Great catch. All right, Aaron Rodgers flinging it again. And once again, way overthrown. Just barely out of bounds and a potential for a pick there. And Devontae Adams is questionable to return now. Unfortunate. All right, second and 10. Aaron Rodgers is just not having that uh, great of a day. It's a decent day, but some of these overthrows. Here we go. Run to the left, and it picks up nine. Another run on third and one, and it doesn't get picked up. Ooh, fourth and one, and they go for it. Ooh, who do you trust here? Let's see. Aaron Rodgers, fourth and one, under center, has to call a timeout. Unfortunate. But they're going to go for it again here. Here we go. Fourth and one. Aaron Rodgers under center. How do they pick this up? Trying to draw him off sides. It's not working. And then they just go to Eddie Lacy. Yes, sir. About 10 yards on the play. Well done. They hand the ball off again. Eddie Lacy running wild. Running wild down to the 10. The 5. And the 3. Jeez, Eddie Lacy, a big run there. All right, here we go. First and goal from the 4-yard line. It's a pitch to James Starks. He hits the edge, and that's a touchdown. So not too much Aaron Rodgers on that drive. Not too much Aaron Rodgers for the score. It's going to hurt his overall ranking, but overall, we'll see. All right, here we go, and let's go. We'll finish it here with the other touchdown here and really putting a, uh, putting away the game, making it 32-18 to 18 going into the fourth quarter. So let's queue up this final touchdown drive, and then we will end it there. 3:02 now in the third quarter left. That's the start of the drive. 
And let's see what Aaron Rodgers is doing here. So starting at their own 24-yard line, another handoff for about four yards. Running back by committee here, pretty solid. Eddie Lacy, James Starks, uh, uh, John Kuhn. Also, Randall Cobb taking some carries out of the backfield like this one. Three-yard gain. Now bringing up third and three. Let's see how they picked up this first down. Devontae Adams is still not in the game, unfortunately. Quick throw there. Just a simple out route there to James Jones for the first down. They hand it off, and James Starks just <laughs> goes down to the ground, unfortunately. A little tripped up. Loses three yards on the uh, James Starks run. Second and 13, Aaron Rodgers, play action pass. Rifle over the middle of the field for the first down for 15 to Randall Cobb. There we go. Great pass there by Aaron Rodgers. Our camera died. All right, now the start of the fourth quarter right at midfield. Here we go. They hand it off to James Starks. And there we go. An 11-yard run for James Starks. They go to James Starks again. Who picks up about seven yards? Second and three. Come on, Aaron Rodgers. Let's start. see you flinging this ball here. They hand it off again. James Starks picks up the first down just barely. They're just bleeding this clock. Ooh, free play. Oh, they wave it off, unfortunately. But once again, Aaron Rodgers getting this defense offsides all game long. You love to see it. Classic Aaron Rodgers stuff here. First and five approaching the red zone at the 24. They hand it off to James Starks. And he goes big time down to the three-yard line. And then here we go. First and goal from the two. They hand it off to Eddie Lacy. He beefs his way into the score. So those two touchdowns is really just the running game at the end of it. So overall, we have to judge it out of 100 credit points for Aaron Rodgers. And I am going to give it the defense. I mean, that awful first quarter, folks. The, a lot of the running. He had a great second quarter, but that was really it. Ran it basically every time in the third quarter. A ton of overthrows. A ton of kind of, you know, missed opportunities to kind of, you know, get a passing touchdown that, um, you know, that the he ended up making up for in the same drive. But overall, if he didn't get those chances... Could have heard him a little bit. Settling for field goals and whatnot. Not scoring at all. So, bad third quarter. Or, just a running third quarter. Bad first quarter. Solid second quarter. Going against Kirk Cousins. That couldn't do anything for the second half of the game. Bad first quarter. That really just could have taken them out of the game. I'm going to give Aaron Rodgers. I'll give him 50. I'll give him 55. More than half. Credit. Even though it shouldn't be. I shouldn't give him that much, but I will give him 55. Getting, you know, drawing off the defense, the quick hitters, the deep throws, really just kind of making that defense off balance throughout the entire game. That's really where we're going to give him a lot of credit in, and that's why we're going to give him 55 out of 100 credit points for the game against Washington, the 2015 wildcard game.
Alrighty, folks, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Let's see if anything is breaking as we were live. Does not appear so. Let's see. Nothing seems to be breaking. Classic Saturday, right? Alrighty, folks. So that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. We're back tomorrow, 4th of July. And, um, yeah, that's it. Alright, folks. We'll see you.